You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. So as we're in Systematic Theology 2, we are looking three weeks at what we call pneumatology. Can y'all say that again? Y'all are so awesome. Okay, so the study of the Holy Spirit. And today we are going to talk specifically about how is the church divided over the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, uh, in this room, I, I don't know everybody's story, but I do know this. We came from some different denominations and backgrounds, right? Some of you grew up in church. Some of you are just now coming to church. Some of you grew up in this type of church. Some of you grew up in that type of church. Some people have been here all their life, pretty much. And then some people like, I just showed up today, okay? Like, and so all, all different places, all different situations. And one of the things that I know is that one of the most uh, consistent areas of division comes around the person of the Holy Spirit. And so today I want us to look at three major divisions that happens across churches, across denominations. Because while Scripture is clear on the work of the Holy Spirit, Christians have debated specific roles uh, based on assumptions or experiences. And the reason why I think we got to start there is um, a lot of times we come to Scripture on assumptions where we think that we believe that God should work in certain types of ways, right? And uh, we started learning this. If you grew up in the type of church that I did, the first songs I ever learned was, I wish I had a little box to put my Jesus in. Y'all know the song? Have you? Some of you don't? Some of y'all do. How many of you have ever heard this song? Raise your hand. You my people. Okay, it goes to this. Um, I wish I had a little box to put my Jesus in. I'd take him out and hug his neck and put him back again. Isn't that a weird song? Like, it's just really weird. I mean, it's just odd. But it's this idea of like, I just wish I could carry Jesus around with me, but I can also just put him in a box and, you know, take him out when I want to and stuff him back in there when he's kind of in the way, right? And that's the way a lot of people treat God, okay? Uh, and especially when it comes down to the Holy Spirit, we kind of try to like box him in into our assumptions or this other word called experiences, right? This is going to be one of the most problematic areas that we're going to unpack tonight because one of the hardest things to debate with anybody is this. How can I argue with what you have experienced? Right? I had this dream. I had this vision. God showed me this. And some of you go, I don't believe God does that anymore. But how are you going to argue with them because it was their dream or their vision? And I also say this, sometimes I've had spiritual experiences, and sometimes I should not have eaten fajitas past 10 o'clock at night, if that makes sense to you, okay? Like, there's all different types of ways that we can think things, and believe things, and dream about things, and experience things, and sometimes I believe it's of God, but if we're not careful, it could be just our minds, or it could be other, some type of spiritual force that may not be for our advantage. And so we have to un unpack that. We must be careful not to alter his role to fit our expectations. So you come to the role of the Holy Spirit, we don't need to change who he is because he doesn't fit into our nice little tidy box. We want the Holy Spirit as he is because I guarantee who he is is better than our version of him. So as we, we think through this, it's so important for us to, to unpack that. So let's look. We're going to look at three major areas tonight. And I promise you this. I'm going to try to play really good and safe, but I'm also going to get very biblical in this as we look at this. There are going to be some things that you're going to hear tonight, I promise you. Every single person at some point, I'm going to push back against maybe your expectations or what you've, been, what you've grown up in. I guarantee at some point, you're like, mm, I don't know if I agree with you, and that's fine. Okay, I want to kind of give you kind of the, the parameters here, but I want us to go to to the word most uh, definitely. The, the first thing is about the nature of miraculous gifts. Now some of you may not, you know exactly what that is, but this is the question we've got to answer. Are the miraculous gifts still prevalent today? What I mean by miraculous gifts, this comes down to uh, speaking in tongues, uh, gifts of healing, uh, th those types of things that are a little bit more, and we talk about spiritual gifts, some people have the gift of teaching, and then in the scripture also talks about the gift of tongues. Well, the problem is this, is that there are some people, follow this if you will, this is going, I believe that some people come into the world even apart from Christ and they're good teachers, right? They've got a skill set, they're not afraid to talk to people, they can take complex things and make it go across. I also know this, 
If you've ever been to school, you've been in college, have you ever known somebody who was an expert at something, but they could not teach? They had the knowledge, but they could not transfer it to you. You're like, you sound brilliant. I have no idea what you're talking about, right? And then you see somebody like, man, you're just gifted as a teacher. Well, a spiritual gift of teaching, though, is a little bit different, right? Because it's something that the Spirit comes upon you to be able to illuminate people to understand kind of complex things in life and Scripture and whatnot and kind of puts it all together. Well, so in that spiritual gift of teaching, we go, that's safe and it's somewhat confined and we can feel really good about it. But then you put certain things in about spiritual gifts of tongues or healing that are represented in Scripture. But how do you do that? Now, now where are some of the issues that come in? Because uh, even though we all probably come from different denominations, different backgrounds, different situations, have there been phony religious people who have manufactured experiences and benefited from it financially? Yes. So some of you are already put on like, uh, don't trust anything that looks like that, right? Okay. Now, we have to be careful in the church. Just because we see somebody abuse something doesn't mean we walk away from it entirely. And a lot of when it comes down to the role of the Holy Spirit, I think that's what we do. So I want to talk to you about two different groups of people. You see in the subtitles there, cessationist and continuationist. Okay? Thankfully, you didn't have to spell that. You're welcome. Um, cessationist is that they believe something has ceased, right? Continuationist believe that something has Continued, right? Okay, so this is great. So let's look at cessationist for a second. What is that belief as it comes to miraculous gifts? Cessationism is the belief that the miraculous gifts of tongues and healings ceased after the apostolic age. Okay? Now, apostolic, that is an interesting word there we don't typically use, but what does that word come from? Apostle. Okay? Now, what is apostle? Well, there's some people today, religious leaders, who will claim that they're apostles. In the strictest use of the term apostle, that word means someone who had seen the risen Christ. Okay? They saw him. So there was disciples, but then there was these apostles that were sent out. In the early church, the apostles were the ones that saw Jesus risen. And, and so there was this kind of level of, especially in the first few decades... Don't you think you would give more weight to the people who had a conversation with a risen Christ versus somebody who heard about what happened? Yeah. So the apostles were in this different category, right? Peter, James, John, Matthew, these guys were like, man, you're apostles. So cessationism is a belief that the miraculous gifts of tongues and healings, which we see Peter do, we see Matthew do, we see all these guys do this, they ceased after this time. Why? And, and we'll, we'll get to that, but just make sure you understand. So they're saying that these gifts were given during those first decades, potentially a little bit longer, to get the church going, but then they ceased at a later time. This is the belief, okay? Now, while many cessationists would believe that God can still do miracles today, he would no longer use these gifts through people. So he would say, can God heal? Yes. Does God give you the gift of healing? They would say no. Can God get the, the gospel to a people who don't understand it? Yes. Does he give the gift of tongues so that you can give it? The answer is no. That's what they would believe. That after this period of time, and, and especially tongues comes up a lot, uh, the gift of tongues. Um, first place we see that in scripture is Acts chapter 2, right? Have you ever read that in Acts? Uh, Jesus has ascended to heaven. They don't know what to do. Right? They have no clue what to do. He's, even though he told them, stay here, pray, wait for power on high. Power comes down. The uh, Holy Spirit comes upon them. And guess what? They can speak a different language. And all these people were in the city of Jerusalem that day. And they all walk out and go, man, something just happened in y'all's uh, upper room there. What took place? And all of a sudden they go, hola, senor. Okay, all right? they, they're, they're speaking a different language that when they walked into that room, they didn't know. And they come out speaking it. And all of a sudden somebody goes, hey, that's my language. How long have you learned it? He's like, about five minutes ago. Well, well, what's going on there? Let me tell you about Jesus. And they share the gospel with all these people in these different languages. And then after that event called Pentecost, which was a holiday, everybody came to the city. All these people went back into these cities and these countries with the gospel in their native language. So it was this powerful moment where the church spread really, really quick, really, really fast. So they would believe that that happened at a certain point. It's not happening now. They would believe God gave tongues to initiate the church, right? To get it started and to validate the first leaders. 
this is an important point as far as you think about cessationists. They believe God gave tongues to initiate the church, get this thing going in a powerful way in the early days, but also to validate these first leaders. With Jesus being absent physically, they needed to see some power from Peter. They needed to see some power from John. So God gave them these gifts to go, whoa, we're dealing with some other folks here. man. These guys are not just some JV folks. They're, they're literally, man, they're, they're, they've got power. And so people would believe that. Um, here's where the issue comes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we typically call this the what chapter? The love chapter, right? This is what people will always read at weddings about love never fails, la, 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 all this kind of stuff. Well, you need to know that 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter 13 was not added until a few years ago. Not the chapter itself, the numbers, right? This stuff right here, you see this? Those little numbers were not added till years and years and years and years and years after this book was written. So typically when you read 1 Corinthians, you know what you read? The whole book. You didn't go to, well, you know, chapter 13 says this, whatever. You wouldn't go to like chapter 2, verse 4 says that. You'd say, somewhere in the middle of that book it says this, and you'd have to know the whole thing. The reason why I say this is chapters 12 through 14 all have to do with spiritual gifts. And sandwiched in the middle of it is this love chapter. So this love chapter, while it's okay to use at a wedding, okay, can I tell you where it's most appropriate? In the way that we love each other in the body of Christ and use the gifts that he has given us to bless each other. That's what the whole context is about, right? So this is, why, this is where I'm bringing this chapter in. So cessationist, their primary text that they go to, to say that the gifts have ceased, it says love never ends, as for what? Prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, you see that know going to that knowledge, we prophesy in part, brings us over to here. And but when the what comes? The perfect, the partial will pass away. Now, this is where cessationism kind of gets their belief. That they believe that when the perfect comes, Tongues are no longer needed, and they will be done away with. Well, that's what the passage says, right? The issue is, well, what exactly does that mean? Now, if you notice something, in verse number 8, it says prophecies will be done away with, tongues will be done away with, and what else will be done away with? Knowledge, knowledge will. But then verse 9 says we know knowledge, we prophesy prophecy, but tongues isn't there, right? Now, is he saying something intentional, or is he just kind of summarizing it right now? I don't know, okay, right? I'm not exactly sure what this is, but this is what we do know. It says when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So prophecies are needed at a certain time, but we're not going to need always prophecy, right? We're not always going to need tongues. We're not always going to need knowledge. But yet we also know that when we get to heaven, guess what's going to happen? What's lacking in our knowledge will be fulfilled, right? When I get to heaven, I'm not going to be dumb anymore. I'm really excited about that prospect, okay, right? And here, here's this picture of what's taking place. So now, this is where it comes down to. The debate centers on how you interpret what the coming perfect is. When tongues cease is when the perfect comes, but what is the perfect? So, what is that in verse 10, that when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away? And so, how do you interpret that? And I'll say this, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, Paul gives us no hint in it. It's kind of a random phrase that he doesn't use in any other context like this. And you really don't see anything else exactly like this, but what we do know is that cessationists would claim that the perfect came when the canon of Scripture was completed. Now, uh, if, if this is all new to you, canon does not mean something that you shoot out of. Okay, right? Okay, that is one canon. Canon of Scripture means something that's complete. So when we would say Genesis through Revelation is the Word of God, and while you might write an inspiring book, there's not another inspired book we're going to stick in the middle here, right? The book's closed. Genesis through Revelation is the Word of God. We don't need any more. We don't need to take anything away. The canon is closed. Scripture is, is there. We know what God's Word says. And they would say, that's the perfect. That's when it comes. Only problem with that is if you continue with 1 Corinthians 13, what it talks about is, is it says that when we see him, we will be like him. Okay? So, go ahead and tip my hat at this because I know I'm going to get this question. 
I don't believe that the perfect coming in this passage, and this is my opinion that many people that I love and respect and are a lot smarter and have more degrees than Fahrenheit would argue with me on, I do not believe that the perfect coming means when the scripture is completed because nowhere else in scripture do we see that phrase. I believe the perfect coming is when Jesus comes back. I believe that that's what happened. I think that's what that means. And that's me. And once again, I'm, I really do mean this. This is not false humility. People a lot smarter than me would disagree with me. Okay? A lot smarter than me. Who read a lot more and know this a lot more. But when I look at it, when you're looking at when we see him, we will be like him. All these type of, type of stuff that the perfect seems to be when I'm getting rid of all this stuff and I get to finally see him. So that brings us to another group of people called continuationists, Right? So this is the opposite of how they would interpret it. Continuationism is a belief that the miraculous gifts of tongues and healings continue to this day. Okay? Some of you are already picking sides, right? Ready for debate later. Okay, we're not going to debate. We're just going to throw some stuff out there. Some of you in this room would say, I'm a cessationist, and this is the reason why. Uh, some of you say a continuationist, and here's the reason why. In this situation, many would believe that the perfect will be when Christ returns. That's the perfect we're looking for. We will be like him. We will not be imperfect anymore. We will be perfect. We will be like him, and it will be the perfect time and perfect situation. And that's how people would view that. So when we look at these gifts, what we realize is these gifts are not required for all, but are given to what? Some. This is what's going to be a little bit of debate as we go through some of these other issues here. Um, many cessationists, or just people who are uh, critical of especially faith-based healing kind of situations would go, well, if, if you got the gift of healing, why don't you go down to the hospital and start going room by room? You ever thought of that? If you do have the gift of healing, why don't you just room by room, get everybody out of there, the hospital system, kick him out. We don't have any business anymore, okay? Now, people would say, though, yeah, but you've got to have a willing heart. Somebody's got faith in the environment. I, I, I get all that. But what we have to realize, in some of these spiritual gifts, I'll give you an example. I believe that one of the spiritual gifts is evangelism, right? Okay? I do not believe that I have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Okay? Evangelism means someone who can share the gospel well and people respond like this kind of stuff. I've I've got friends who I believe have the gift of evangelism. They can share the gospel with the lamppost, and that lamppost is getting baptized by tonight. Okay, it's just like they're just like I never thought about that. I do need to repent. I need to follow Jesus. Like they just have this gift, right? Now, even though I don't think I have the spiritual gift of evangelism, am I called to evangelize? Yeah. But there are some people that God has just given certain gifts. There's just a special outpouring. Of ability in their life where it's just more natural and more fruitful than others. And so even within that, um, I believe that I have prayed for healing in people's lives before and God's answered that prayer. I, I believe he has, right? Uh, I don't believe it's because I had the gift or, or I, I have some special power to, you know, some people say, Pastor, can you come and pray? I can, but you know what? Like, you can too, right? And this is what God's going to do. Um, I've, I've prayed over the phone for people and, and, and heard some wonderful reports. In fact, I, I believe that, but I believe within these things. Now, one gift that I have never gotten uh, is the gift of tongues. I have not gotten. Have I prayed for it? Yep. Do I have people who say they have it? Absolutely. Do I have some people who think it's completely hocus-pocus and all made up? Absolutely, I do. And let me tell you why, especially in, in this situation, um, we have to get to this point to understand. I had a friend who was converted when he was a teenager and was converted in a church that basically said this, if you are truly saved, you will have the gifts of tongues, right? And some of you have grown up in that church. Some of you may completely believe that, and I get that. Um, but as we're going to look at Scripture, we're going to have to really evaluate this because I believe that Scripture says tongues is a gift, not the gift. It's a gift, but not the one that everybody's got to have. That's not what Scripture does teach. We see early believers having it, but not all of them do. And so one of my friends who was converted, and they basically, you know, some of the uh, men in the church said, we're going to stay in this room and we're going to pray over you till you get the gift of tongues. He was praying for it, and he kept praying, and they kept praying, and it was going from minutes to hours, and they just kept praying, he's going to get it. And this is what my friend said. Finally, I got so tired, I just started going, blah, 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 and just started making sounds, and they go, he's got it, he's got it. And they got all excited, and he said, I left that church and never came back again. Okay, now... 
I don't think that's what God is wanting from us, okay? And, and here's the reason why I'll, I'll say that. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Our gifts differ. They're different. Um, I have certain gifts that you may have or you may not have. Some of y'all have the gift of mercy. Some of y'all do not have the gift of mercy, right? Okay? Some of you are naturally generous people. Some of you are tight wads, tight fisted, that you can't let anything go, right? But all of us, if you are in Christ, I believe we all have spiritual gifts. We just don't have all the same ones. So to say all of us have to have a certain one, I think goes against what Scripture does say. 1 Corinthians 14, 19 says, especially in this one, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, this is not a verse that typically people will go to. You know why? Because it flies in the face of a lot of stuff. Now, why would he say that? I told you we're still we're in the love section, right? First Corinthians 14, right? In love. Uh, you ever hear the... Uh, a lot of times people will talk about God's not the author of confusion. You ever heard that? Yeah. That's from this chapter too. And you know why? Because people were speaking in tongues in their church and it was getting so crazy and sensational that no one was actually getting instructed anymore. It came about the experience rather than the substance of the experience or who they were trying to experience. And it was distracting them away from God and putting their attention on each other. And he says, you got the gift, that's fine, but it'd be better to have five words intelligible where we can all benefit versus a bunch of people running around without an interpreter to explain what God's showing you right now. So with this... God puts some parameters that at that time and if there is anything like that as well. So you have to make your decision. Do you believe that these gifts are still available or not? But I will say this, just because it is a gift does not mean it's your gift or it's everybody's gift. But I also would say this, it's crazy, that um, a lot of people in spirit, when you get in these, I really encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 at some point. But when you read this, a lot of times people go, well, the spirit just led me to do this. In that passage, Paul says this. If there are unbelievers present, you put that on calm. You know why? Because if you scare them off before they come to faith in Christ, you have done damage to their soul, and you, you put it on calm until they get it. And why is that? Folks, sometimes spiritual people, we can be weird. We just can. And you can weird somebody out, and they go, I don't want anything to do with this. They go, listen, so that means this. Sometimes you can turn it off and say, I'm going to save this for that, but what do we want to do? We want to make sure that these, these people who are coming to faith in Christ, they're not scared off from all this. So even within those gifts, it doesn't mean that somehow you are out of control and the Spirit's taking you over and trying to make you label it as someone who is different. Okay, okay, not in that way anyway. Now let's look at the need for a second blessing because this is another major debate. What do I mean by that? Should we expect a second filling of the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not asking you whether you believe that or not. How many of you have heard of something like this? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Some of you have. Some of you are like, ah, I know there's a first feeling. What are we talking about here? Okay, so we're going to talk about this. This is an important one to make sure we get. Here's the confusion around the issue. When people talk about a second blessing or a second filling, what they mean is some Christians speak of a need for a second blessing, meaning either the baptism of the Holy Spirit or a state of sinless perfection. Okay? Now, this really came, um, the, the first one, as we're going to talk about, is a situation of where God's Spirit comes upon you after salvation, gives you unique abilities and, and whatnot, and, and it's kind of this spiritual experience. Um, and I would imagine here, if anybody, if you're in Christ, can you ever think through a time in your life where, man, you felt God in a very unique way at a certain time in your life? We probably all have moments like that, right? Some people have said, like, oh, it's this different thing. And some like, I just feel like the Lord was talking to me in a real profound way at that point, right? So some people talk about a need for a second blessing. It's either the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what this leads to is what we'll see is that you may be saved, but yet you have not gotten the Holy Spirit yet. That's what this belief is about. The second phrase about this is a state of sinless perfection. This comes from John Wesley. Uh, we'll talk about this. Uh, the start of the Wesleyan and, and Methodist movements, right? that there comes a place of in your sanctification, your growth process, that you get so close to the Lord. It doesn't mean that you're like 100%, but you've kind of reached this place of maturity where you don't struggle as much. 
I haven't gotten there yet, okay? Um, I'm making progress, but there are days when I feel like I have made two steps forward and 14 steps back, okay? Some days I feel that way, um, but let's, let's at least unpack what these things might be, okay? In certain denominations, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience, this is important, post-salvation, where the Holy Spirit comes richly, typically providing the gift of tongues, so in certain denominations, baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is an experience after salvation. You are saved, you are secure, but there is this second experience that they are still expecting you to wait for that takes you from this level to that level. That's what this belief is about, okay? So, but it is post-salvation. It's not what happens when you are saved. It's happened after at some point. Maybe days later, it could be years later. So... With this, while the original disciples received the gift of tongues for what, again? Gospel proclamation, right? It is typically portrayed as being utilized now for worship experiences or private prayer languages. So in the first use of tongues in Scripture, it was a bunch of disciples who did not have language skills that all of a sudden they were given language skills to share the gospel. Now, does that exist today? Once again, experience. Um, most people today would say if they have the gift of tongues, it's something that's in worship experience or private prayer language that they use uh, to be used like that. There are not many people today that are saying, I think I can speak Spanish so I can go share the gospel with Spanish people. You don't hear that a lot. Well, the original use of that was that. Now, if you've ever gone on a foreign mission field and you've ever tried to learn language, it's hard. I mean, it's challenging. Do I know people who I have watched seem like they have a supernatural ability of learning a language quickly and get on the field? Yes, I have. Have I ever been on the mission field uh, where I have seen God do something miraculous that we did not anticipate in this area? Yes, I have. Um, I won't go a long story about it because we got more notes to go through. Um, but I can remember being in West Africa and our translator sitting there and then all of a sudden a guy comes who is uh, deaf and he is trying to sign language to us and we are trying to share the gospel and I was like gosh I wish I knew sign language and I looked at our interpreter and I said I know you know about three or four languages you don't have sign language in it do you and he looks at me and goes and he starts doing it. I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy who never finished high school, now he knows sign language, and I'm watching him do this kind of stuff, and I'm watching him share the gospel with this guy, and the guy's getting it, and they're communicating. I'm like, how does he know it? And I don't know sign language. I'm so mad. And I get done, and I said, Omar, I said, you know sign language? I said, when did you learn that? He said, I've never done that before in my life. I said, say that again. He said, I, I, I don't know what that was. Now, I would think I do, okay? Now, I don't know if you open up the textbook of sign language, if you go, when he did this, it means that. But I do know this. This guy shared with this guy, and he was getting it. Like, they were understanding the guy. And I'm, I'm just watching, and I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. And so, now this is my experience, right? Was that just coincidence, and he was being really wise with whatnot? Or was that some type of supernatural gift so this man could share, hear the gospel that day? in a unique way, this is what we have to wrestle with. And a lot of people would say, well, you don't see that anymore. You, you see people talking kind of nonsensical words and say it's a private prayer language that nobody but them and God can understand. Shouldn't they be able to get gospel out there? And we don't see a lot of that anymore. And so you see where the, the rub hits. Now, let's look at this for a moment of correction to make sure we understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, teaches that the same Spirit gives different gifts for the good of the body. If you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I should have just told you to camp out there all evening because we keep going back to it. But this is such an important part. And it's also, what's good is, this is a, ch uh, a church that's really messed up. So they need a lot of instruction. And in this, they were getting kind of far off on some things. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, he says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Different gifts, same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the what? Common good. Common good. So, all right, watch this, watch, watch. Um, 
I believe that I know what spiritual gifts God has given me. Um, I do not think that I am the best preacher in the world by far. There are so many things today, if you could take the 9 o'clock, the 10.30, and the 5 o'clock and combine them together, you might have a decent sermon. That's the way I feel right now, okay? But I do believe that God has gifted me in such a way that sometimes I'm able to take complex theological truths and make them simple for people. I don't know why, but that's what that's the, what people always tell me about this. I'm not too on this. What I, I literally and I go, I don't think I can take credit for that. I'm, I'm not. I really struggle getting things, but I feel like God has allowed me to to think maybe in a way or to be able to communicate in a certain way that people go, okay, I, I can see that, right? You, you, you somebody told me you are bottom shelf preaching. I don't know if that was a compliment or a cut down, but I think what they mean is this: I can get it. I can get it when you talk. Okay, now, now when I say that, right? Why? If that is a gift that God has given me, why is that? For the common good. I haven't given a gift of teaching or, um, or, or prophecy, you know, the ability to speak on behalf of God, right? Not, not a future-telling prophecy, but I, like I can speak on behalf of what this word says kind of boldly and confidently. Like, I don't think I've been given that just to you know, boast myself up. Why has that been given me? For the church's good, Right? When someone is given the gift of generosity, it's for the church's good. When someone's given the gift of mercy, it's for the church's good. So even in some of these spiritual, miraculous types of gifts, they should be for the common good. And look what happens in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of what? Healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, the discerning spirit, right? To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It does not say that all of us get the same gifts. He gives you these gifts. He gives you some other gifts. And why does he give us all the same stuff? Well, it's the same reason in a band you don't want everybody playing lead guitar. You know? <laughs> You need, a, you need a rhythm guitar, you need a bass guitar, you need a drummer, you need a keyboardist, you need somebody who can sing, because if you've got a bunch of lead guitars, you know what you got? A headache. That's what you've got, okay? That's all you've got. You need people coming at different angles and saying, if we all use our stuff, it comes together and makes something so much more beautiful. So that's what these verses are saying. Now you go down to the end of the chapter, and 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31 teaches that we all do not have the same gifts. Once again, kind of getting this picture. Verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? I think what he's saying there is, no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And here comes the love chapter, right? Giving different gifts for the common good, use it on a basis of love to benefit other people. And um, make sure that you, that's not right. Um, that's a little bit later. Okay, let me make sure I get this right. Okay, in the early stages of the church, Acts describes events that happen to specific individuals, but does not guarantee they will happen to each of us. I think this is one of the main things that gives us in a lot of problems because when we talk about a second filling, there are a couple of places in Acts where the apostles will run into somebody and they'll say, do you have the gift of the Holy Spirit? Nobody told us about the Holy Spirit yet. Well, let's pray, okay? And they pray and they have an experience at that place where the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now, this is a hermeneutical principle that some of y'all know if you've been around me a long time, but let me say it again. Okay, what this is saying? There is a difference between descriptive portions of Scripture and prescriptive portions of Scripture. Okay? One describes what happens. One prescribes what should happen. Right? So if you are sick, you give the doctor a description of what is taking place. And guess what he gives you? A prescription for how to fix it. Okay, right? Um, so let me ask you this question. Uh, when you read a narrative portion of Scripture... Just because that happened to Joseph in the scripture does not guarantee it has to happen to you, right? It describes what took place. It doesn't prescribe what will happen every time. How do I know this? Because we only go to the good places in scripture and go, can that happen to me? 
what Jabez had, I want to have, Lord. Okay, like you, we only look at those places. We never go, I'd like to suffer like Paul. How about a shipwreck, Lord? I would love that to come upon me. So with this, the second feelings that we base this on are descriptive portions of the scripture at a very pivotal time when the church is growing and described in a way that somewhat can be confusing if you read it. And because it describes some people that said, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but we don't have the spirit yet, that either means one of two things. Something unique happened to them or they had not yet received the spirit. They had not yet received the gospel. And this was something that was waiting for them, right? So just because it describes, be careful here. And why is that important? Because if you don't have the Spirit of God, you are not in Christ. Romans 8, 9 is very, very clear. And let me read it for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So I say this. Scripture apparently just says, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not in Christ. So if you say you're in Christ, but you're waiting on the Spirit, you're actually not in the Spirit, and you're not in Christ either. It comes as a package deal. So, if you go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, let me read this for you. It says, In him you also, when you, listen to this, heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. This is talking about conversion, right? I hear the gospel. It's the gospel of salvation. I believe in it. And when it happens, you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. At that moment. So am I waiting for the Holy Spirit? Apparently you already have him. So if I'm waiting to receive the Holy Spirit, that means I don't have him. And, and this, the, the sealing, the inheritance, the guarantee of salvation is that the Holy Spirit comes and does what? Seals put basically around your soul. He belongs to God now. You're good. You're covered. You don't need anything else. So why is it that some people seem more spiritual? Is it because they have the Spirit more than anybody else? As we have seen, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. If you are still waiting on more of the Spirit, that means you have zero of Him. You either have none of Him or all of Him. Now, sometimes we make ourselves more available to Him. But if you are in Christ, there's not one person in here has more access to the Spirit of God than another, or else Scripture is lying to us. Scripture just said if you're in Christ, you've got the Spirit, and you don't need to wait on anything else. Now, really quickly, let me get this last one. The necessity for specific guidance. What does this mean? Oh, I did? What did I skip? See, that's what's happening here. Okay. That's what I was skipping over? Okay. Descriptive portions of the Bible do not always provide prescriptive expectations. Thank you for catching that. That's what was awful me a little while ago. Descriptive portions of the Bible do not always have, provide prescriptive expectations. So, book of Acts, read it, learn from it, but be careful there, right? That we don't just assume certain things. Um, give an example. Philip baptized a guy in a river and then just disappeared. That don't mean it's got to happen to you, right? Okay. <laughs> It's never happened to me. I wouldn't mind it sometimes. Sometimes I'm in a meeting going, Lord, just take me. Okay, like they take me somewhere else. Okay, but just because it happened there doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. Okay, last one, the necessity for specific guidance. Does the Holy Spirit direct us like he did the disciples? This is the question. Now, what do I mean? There is, some of you are going to think this is very foreign for me to even say, but this is a very, very big disagreement across the big C church. Um, does the Holy Spirit lead us today? And some of you go, of course he does. Absolutely he does. That's not even a question, is it? It's a major question. And here's why it's a major question. Um, a lot of people like to make decisions for their life and say, God told me to do this. Right? The Spirit's leading me to do this. First experience I ever had, really sincerely in it, once again, go to Bible college, and I see this guy, he's talking to this girl, and I was like, man, y'all y'all seem, you know, like, you, you like her a lot. God told me we're going to get married. <laughs> when did he say that? You know, I'm thinking, can you read the chapter and verse on the Bible? Because I'd like to find that too. Okay, like, where, where is that? He goes, God told me we're going to get married. So they got engaged, I mean, first month, freshman year. I mean, they get married. I'm like, goodness gracious, they're going at it. Six months later, engagement's broken off. I said, what happened? God told me that we needed to end the relationship. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. God told you to propose to her and then the number? Well, you know, I said, and so I looked at him as sincerely as I, I could. I said, do you think God's schizophrenic? He said, what did you say? I said, a simple question. Is God schizophrenic? No, don't you ever say that. I said, well, you said he said this, and he changed his mind four months later. I said, so either he's schizophrenic or you're lying. One or the other. You either are saying God told you. He, God does not change his mind. Y'all realize that, right? He is immutable. He does not change. So if God has said something, he's not going back. And oh, I've had a bad day. I'm going to change my mind now. God is sticking to it. So, so here's the thing. So many people have done a lot of stupid things and blamed God on it. That I believe in the church, what always happens is the pendulum swings over here and people are doing ungodly, horrible things that are not in Scripture. God told me to do this. That all of a sudden we swing the pendulum not to where it should be, but on this other side and says, God does not lead us like that anymore. He only leads us through His Word. His Word tells us what to do. The Spirit does not lead us specifically. The Spirit leads us to salvation. He's the assurance of our salvation. But day to day, no voice, no leading, no prompting, out of the question, right? So when I say that, some of you are going, there are people like that? There's lots of people like that. There's still people like that in this room, okay? We might be even here together that we, we would disagree on that. Let me show you the concerns here real simply. Many Christians take God's name in vain in doing what they want to do but blame the Spirit's leading on their actions. Commandment number three. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. means empty. And every time that you say, I want to do this and I'm just going to blame God and say God told me the Spirit's leading because you don't want anybody to argue with it, you're breaking the third commandment. And you do not mess around with God's name. You not throw that around. So this church knows this. Uh, sometimes people have said, Travis, what's the Lord t telling you to do right now? I think, right? I think the Lord is leading us to obey this scripture at this time in this way. But I have to even be careful. Are there times where I feel like that the Lord has said, like, yeah, I, there I am. But folks, I don't trust myself completely. You might trust yourself, but I know how frail I am. I know how a bad day can mess up my judgment, right? And, and so we have to be careful here. So a lot of people are taking his name in vain. So due to such abuses, others deny that the Spirit leads believers practically today. Because of the abuses of God told me to do this, Spirit led me to do that. And I'll also say, a lot of times when God tells you to do something... Uh, they, people are very far off from what Scripture would command. I, I said this a few weeks ago, but I'll just remind you. If God's Word says go right and you feel God's Spirit is telling you to go left, you are not hearing God's Spirit. God's Spirit never contradicts God's Word. Never. Never, never, never. So with this, I'll give you an example. Somebody came up to me and said, Hey, Pastor, I want to let you know some change going on in my life. And we'll let you know, God told me I needed to get a divorce. I said, okay, no, I know what you're going to do. You're going to tell me where do I find God's voice in Scripture on that. I got a verse. I got a verse, Pastor. And God, I, I was praying about it, and God gave me a verse. I said, please tell me what verse he gave you. Because in his Scripture, it says he hates divorce. And while there are some allowances for it, he never promotes it. Please tell me in the Scripture where you heard him say you need to get a divorce. I was reading in Acts. And Paul and Barnabas got in a disagreement so much so that they went on two different mission trips. And that's where me and my wife are. We are at a place of we are un unreconcilable, and so we are going our own ways. No, okay? That is not even close to what God is saying. In fact, you are going against what Scripture t teaches. So with that, you see why some people will go against it. Know this, that... We have to ask, is there a healthy balance of being directed by the Word and led by the Spirit? That's the goal. Because if the Word and the Spirit are going to agree at all times, can we say, is there a healthy balance of being directed by the Word and led by the Spirit? Let's find some clarity real quick and we'll be done. Jesus says it this way in John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He will do what? He's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. At the very heart, what does the Holy Spirit do? He teaches us and he brings to our remembrance what we already know 
that Scripture says. So, you ever been in a place in your life where you had a decision to go this way or go that way, and all of a sudden some verse came out of nowhere right back into your heart going, well, I, I don't even remember trying to memorize that. Where is that coming from? It's the Holy Spirit saying, last chance, boy. Last chance. You know what I say in this situation. And the Spirit's reminding you of that. Shaking the cobwebs off, right? Said, you know what to do here. Are you going to do this or not? And there have been some moments, I'm, I'm not lying, it's, like, it's just like a two by four to my soul going, you know what God's word says. One more chance. What are you going to do? And so this is the level of what the Holy Spirit comes. And we've got to make sure that as we think about as the Spirit directs us, don't let your theology be dictated by exaggerated reactions to unhealthy practices. What I mean by that is, if you have seen a lot of people act ridiculous and take God's name in vain and do whatever they want and blame God on it, that does not mean that the Spirit doesn't lead some of us who are trying to walk with Him maturely. Just because some people have just done whatever their flesh wanted to do and blamed it on the Spirit does not mean that we can just jump to the other side and say, well, then the Spirit doesn't lead us anymore. Um, and why do I say that? Because John 16... Seven. Jesus looks at his disciples it's going to be to your advantage if I leave and the Holy Spirit's going to come I can't think of a, a, a thing better than having God beside me but apparently God inside me is better it's going to be better for flesh and blood Jesus to leave so the Spirit can come because then you can walk in truth now why do I say that because if Jesus says it was better that the Spirit come and he depart, if he tells these disciples you have no chance unless you walk in the power of the Spirit, for you and I to act as if we can operate following Jesus without the Spirit's power in our life, we are suicidal. He is so necessary to our leading and our walking for him. If Jesus said we are dependent on the Spirit, we are hopeless if we believe he retired from the ministry once the Scriptures were completed. There is no way that you and I can make it. If Jesus says we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to do the simplest of tasks, by the way, I love Acts chapter 2 because it comes right after Acts chapter 1. You're like, you are brilliant, Travis. Here, <laughs> Acts chapter 2 comes right after Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes down and teaches them what to do. At the end of Acts chapter 1, the disciples go, we're supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit, but we don't know what to do. You know what first order of business in the church business meeting is this? We only got 11 disciples. We've always had 12. Well, where's the 12th one? Well, Judas just hung himself. Well, what do we need to do? We need to get a 12th disciple. Who do we want to get? Well, there's two guys that are pretty good. I don't know. This one's kind of good. This one's kind of good. What should we do? They threw the dice and decided that guy is going to be the disciple. Now, if you're a part of this church going, that's our leadership. <laughs> like, that's who's going to lead us through all this persecution. Like, we are done. Why would they put that in there? Because even after three years of Jesus, they are completely, ridiculously unable to follow Christ until the Spirit comes. They leave Acts 1 in there to show how far off they were and how the Spirit had to come down. And I'm saying to you and I, you want to make a decision without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Good luck. Because I can tell you which way your flesh is going to lead you. We need the Spirit to guide us. So how do, how do we rely? If people are abusing it, if people are doing their own thing, blaming the Spirit, here's the way I like to think about it. Does the Bible teach us, in reality, principles that should guide us in every single situation? Now, now there's some, like, well, I've never, I know you're looking for a bullet point. Are there principles in the scripture that teach us how we need to live in Christ? The answer is yes. Okay? So where does the Spirit take role in that? This is how I like to say it. The Spirit guides us on applying biblical truth to a particular situation. The Spirit guides us on how do we apply biblical truth. What's in the Word. We're not veering from it. We know what God's Word says. We're going after it. And the Spirit says... Apply this biblical truth to a particular situation. You remember like in Acts chapter 8, uh, Philip's sitting there and he just sees this guy going by and God says, go get him. Okay, okay. right? Starts running after the chariot, getting there like, hey man, what you reading? I was reading this book named Isaiah. Have you ever read it? 
I have actually. Uh, yeah, well, what do you think about it? I'm kind of confused about this. Hoping somebody can explain it. I can explain it. He explains it to him. He tells him about Jesus. The guy goes, huh, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. What's next? Well, you should be baptized. There's water. Okay, let's go do it. And he baptizes. Now, did Philip do anything in that moment outside of the will of God? No. Jesus had said, go make disciples of all nations, and here's this Ethiopian guy walk by. So this is the opportunity to obey biblical truth, but the Spirit said, there's one, go get him. Now, go, go, go. To do what? To do something different? No, just to apply the biblical truth you already know. So let me ask you. You ever seen 100 people in Walmart and God just goes, that one? You need to go talk to that person. And you go, I don't want to. Anybody else? Send somebody, Lord. That's what I'm doing, okay? That's, I'm sending you. I'm sending you right now, right? And so I believe, what does the Spirit do? Spirit animates us, mobilizes us, pushes us forward to obey what we already know to do. But the when, where, and the how. He moves us out of our seats to do it. The Bible tells us what to do. The Spirit guides us when and how to do it. If we look through the teaching of Scripture, the Bible tells us what we ought to do. You should not be in a question mark about it, especially if it's an issue of morality. You know what God's Word says to do. But the Spirit, He will guide us when and how to do it. And so, Spirit of God, tonight as we come and pray, we ask that you would cause us to be people that are sanctified in your truth, your Word is truth, so that as we go and live our lives, we are not curious about what your will is. We know what your will is based upon the word, and your spirit compels us to obey that, to bring to our remembrance what you said, to teach us these things, and to prompt us in those moments to be obedient to your word. Spirit of God, we need you in our life. Oh, how we need you to come close and abide, to teach us once again the wonder and the beauty of having God dwell inside. Oh, Spirit, we need you. Thank you that when we leave this building, we are not away from your presence, but everywhere we go. For those in Christ, we walk with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.